Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever into the ages of all ages, Amen. My fathers, please absolve me and pray for me. Before we get started, um, I prepared like 90-some slides or something like that um, for us to discuss and uh, talk about, and that's great and all, but on the drive here, you know, like I woke up really early this morning uh, to f freshen up my material and you know, add some more examples and pictures and stuff, and you know, and uh, it, it, it dawned on me that I, I woke up this morning to prepare presentations. I confess before you and I ask my fathers to pray for me. I didn't wake up this morning to meet Jesus. I didn't wake up this morning to speak with him or to more importantly maybe hear him speak to me. I woke up this morning to prepare slides. Do you think God wants slides? God needs slides. God is ADHD. He needs some, uh, uh, what are they using these days? My, I'm sure there's a pharmacist in the audience that can support us, Ritalin or other, you know? You know, God needs, he needs audiovisual things to keep his attention, right? Maybe if, if it's okay with you, maybe we can start by bowing our heads and asking ourselves, what's the relationship between my goal my purpose in life, my purpose in life at large, my goals, specific goals, and my time. Are they aligned? Are they misaligned? Lord Jesus, we're bowing our heads. I am bowing my head before you, Lord, and I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you, Lord, before we get started with any kind of work, before we do anything, Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, for your forgiveness. I'm asking you, Lord, I'm asking you, Lord, for you to pierce my heart with your love and with your generosity. Lord, this morning, early, early morning, three, four in the morning, you were promising me that you wish to give me every spiritual gift and every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And I have my knickers in a knot over slides. Please, Lord, I beg you from the bottom of my heart, Jesus. I promise you, Jesus, with tears, I'm asking you, Please, Lord, let this conference be about more than slides. Set our expectation, set my expectation higher, Lord. Give me, Lord, to come and to receive life, resurrected life, and to live a new life. Breathe, Lord, life into my death and purpose and decision and desire and passion and intentionality into everything that I do 
from this day forward and forever. I believe in you, Jesus, and your life-saving love and grace, and that you're able to do this for us. In the name of mighty name of Jesus, intercessions of all the saints, we pray. Amen. So we have three talks. And this first talk, um, I figured, I kind of changed the name a little bit. I called it Paste to Jesus. Um, you know, in my past life, I was like a, in, a, in healthcare. And so, um, you know, the, 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 word, the word Paste means one thing to me. It means pacemakers. I actually used to put pacemakers in and install them for people. And I didn't manage them. I let the cardiologists do that, but we just, I was just a technician, um, and we uh, stick them in, put the leads, get the little wires to go where they're supposed to go in, in, the, in the heart and so on. I also used to run, I know it doesn't look like it, but once upon a time, I did used to run, and uh, I used to, I realized as a runner, any runners in the audience, any at all, none whatsoever, yeah, maybe, you know, okay, well, so if you choose to run, the, the one thing that will help you to run long distance running is actually not how fast you can run, but how well you can pace yourself. So they say, like just the rule of thumb, there are much more accurate ways, GPS tracking and all of this now, but a rule of thumb, you should, you should run so that you're able to speak full sentences, but not so much that you're able to laugh. So when you run, you're going to get out of breath, but if you're so out of breath that you can't even finish a whole sentence. You can't say, thank you very much, Abuna, for inviting me to this conference. You can't say that sentence. You're probably running too fast. And if you're, you're able to say a sentence, you're able to laugh, um, that requires even more uh, breathing ability. Um, and then you're probably, uh, you're probably running too slow. So that kind of gives you a way to pace yourself. So it's, it's a rule of thumb. It's a guideline to pace yourself. What's the purpose? What's the benefit of being able to pace yourself as a runner? Well, there's no sense in starting a marathon, outrunning everybody in the first 100 meters, and then stopping for water and panting and just walking the rest of the way, right? You want to be able to you want to be able to run the distance. So what we're talking about today and hopefully, you know, all through all these sessions is not just like something to do for this weekend, but hopefully it's something that will help us, help me, help you, each one of us run the distance of life. And if we're going to pace ourselves to something, let's pace our let's pace ourselves to Jesus. So I just, you know, as I was like looking up, I, I tried to like, I thought, I'm sure I'm not the first person to think of this pacing myself to Jesus. So I looked up and I found a few, um, a few cartoons, right? Um, uh, and, you know, just for, uh, ju just for humor's sake uh, for this morning. The funny thing about trying to pace yourself to God is this slight thing about God, which is his eternity. And we often find that a little bit disheartening because um, um, you know a, 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 a day is like a thousand years with God, and you know He may have multiples of thousands of years, but I don't even have a fraction of that. So you know what I need to get done? I need to get done now, God. So you know I need to make a decision. I need to make a business decision, a personal life decision, a, a schooling decision. I need I need to get my life on the road. I need to we need to get this show on the road, God. And oftentimes we feel like God is too slow. Well, thankfully, we're able to go and look at other people who also found God just a little bit 
slow for their taste. Take Abraham, 75 years old, he's living with his dad, he's happy and comfortable, everything is good in Ur of the Chaldeans. And they're up in Ur of the Chaldeans or where, wherever they were, northern Iraq, and God says to him, get up and go. Right? Various commentators have pulled from all over the Bible and so on, and they suppose that his father didn't really want him to go. But he, you know, he managed to convince his father at least ah, to come with him. So there was a delay, but he obeyed. He obeys and he goes, his dad dies along the way, he buries him. And then God appears to him again, he promises him great promises. Amongst them, he promises him that there will be nations from him. But he doesn't give too many specifics. That's Genesis 12. Then rolls around Genesis 15. Twelve years later, uh, eleven years, sorry, eleven years later, Genesis 15, Abraham, or Abram at that time, is 86, 86, eleven years later. No children. I was going to have descendants, right? And God tells him, look, I'm going to give you children like the sand of the seashore. Ya Rabbi, like the sand of the seashore. Don't give me one. <laughs> Just give me one. I'll be good with one, right? Nothing. Hus, silence. Ya Rabbi, what is this? Right? So, what does Sarah do? Sarah tells him, look. Typical newbie mistake, right? Typical novice mistake. God is a good guy. Right? He overpromised and underdelivered. Right? He has good intentions, but he couldn't quite, you know, make it happen. Right? Those weren't her exact words, but she says, take Hagar, and you know the story, and Hagar and Ishmael. God says nothing. Thirteen years later, Abram is 99 years old, Genesis 17. The second, they call it the second visitation. Because in the first one, the, the, the promise was not very clear, but in the second and third, the promise of the covenant was very clear. The third one, God effected the covenant and circumcision. All that is in Genesis 17. It tells him, your name will be Abraham, and you will have descendants as the seashore, and Abraham laughs. Genesis 17, verse 19. He laughs at God. He's been waiting 24 years. I don't know whose side to take. We should never laugh at God. But he's been waiting 24 years. Look at God's timing. Look at God's timing. And you know the story. He gives him Isaac and so on and so on. He waited 24 years. And in that span of time, he was only like, like comforted or re-promised or re revisited the promise. Or it came to, he was told the promise again only twice and if you read carefully in Genesis 17 Ya Rabbi, he laughed at God he was sarcastic with God, he gave God a, a human biology lesson you know, he said, look, look, I'm, I'm 99, my wife is 90 you know, God, I don't know like, uh, maybe things have changed since Adam and Eve, but you know the ovaries, they don't, uh, right they're, they're like walnuts now, right you know <laughs> like, you know, they're dried and dead what are, you, what are you thinking? He says I'm 99 and, 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 uh, and Sarah is 90 years old like, and he says something about her womb the funny thing is, if you compare to Romans 4, 
And this is the basis of a whole series I did about grace, which we're not going to discuss now, is God sees Abraham completely differently and treats him completely differently. But that's a story, life-changing story for another day. There's another story. Um, there's another story which also shakes me up. Jesus is preaching, his first ever preaching. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 4, right after he comes back from the wilderness. Everything is going great. People are flocking to him. The disciples say, this is great. We should make headquarters here. Jesus incorporated, right? And we should set up shop and we should... And he said, he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. For this purpose, I have been sent. For this purpose, I have been sent. Jesus had a purpose clear before his eyes. He had success and he left. I tell you the truth, I'll pause my prepared presentation, tell you a story from, from my life when I was, I was only 18 years old. I went to serve uh, in Africa for a summer. We were serving in Tanzania. Uh, we were there to build a house for a new Abuna who just got ordained and uh, to also like, you know, start the service, like give him like a, a good push start, right? So we were market preaching and preaching house to house and so on. And we started uh, then uh, a meeting like in the church from five to seven every day. So we'd break up in groups and go and preach in all the villages and tell the people come to the church at five o'clock and there will be a meeting there. We started and there was like four or five people coming to the meeting the first day. The next day, they doubled. The next day, they doubled. You can imagine after nine days, right? It was the, like, like we, we didn't have room. We had, we, uh, 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 who's now Father Paul Gerges and I were standing on the fence. Like, I boosted him to stand on the fence so he could stand above the people and preach to them. And then we would trade back and forth like that. Crowds! people. Sayyidna calls me into his room and he tells me uh, one night, we've been there for, for nine days, or it was the eighth night going into the ninth day. I had, we had a, had a Bible study amongst the servants and so on. He calls me into his room. He says, what do you think? See how humble he is, huh? Like I was 18 years old. Like what do I know, right? He says, what do you think, John? Do you think we should stay or we should go? <laughs> should stay or go? Satan, I've never seen anyone respond to the gospel like this. Muslim people, mostly Muslim people, right? And Muslim uh, pagan magic, but certainly not Christian, responding to the gospel like fire, you know? The day, that day we had baptized 57 people, right? But they had been, like, they had been preparing them for like a year or something. Anyways, in Muhim, um, Sayyidina says to me, uh, do you think we should stay or we should go? I said, I think Sayyidina, things are going really well. Like, I don't think it's going to be any better than this anywhere we go. He goes, really? I prayed and I think we should go. I said, are you sure, Sayyidina? He said, uh, you pray and tell me what you think. So I said, okay. So I prayed, I came back. I'm like, I don't know, things are going really good. We should, we should obviously stay. He said, no, 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 I think we should go. Go tell everybody. Pack up their stuff, we're gonna leave tomorrow. I'm like, oh, thank you. Put me in the, you know, wish and put me, you know, throw me to the lions, right? 
So I went and told everybody, everybody was, of course, very disappointed and so on. We packed our bags. We left. So we left. Uh, and we went where? To Uganda. Where in Uganda? We don't know yet. We're going to find out when we get there. <laughs> right? Of course, I didn't tell anybody this. She just only told me. I don't know why. Me. But anyways, me. I was the young, like, second youngest person there. Muhim. So we're going, to, we're going to Uganda. We're approaching the Ugandan border. And all of a sudden, we're uh, like a... a a jeep and uh, a van. I was in the jeep with Sayyidna. All of a sudden, there was like 18 of us in the jeep. But anyways, we were, I was in the jeep with Sayyidna, right? And all of a sudden, we heard a bang, a really loud bang on the side of the car. I thought somebody like shot us with a gun or something, you know? A really loud bang, and so the, they stopped the car, and then Sayyidna like stuck his head out the window, and he's looking, and he shouted something. We didn't, I didn't understand what he said, and of course, there's like 14 people sitting on top of me, and he runs out of the, the jeep, and he's this, this African man, and he hugs him, and they start crying. And I'm like, what's going on, you know? There's 14 people sitting on top of me, right? Anyways, turns out that Sayyidina was on the World Council of African Churches, and there was another guy on that council called Pastor John. Pastor John uh, uh, was a pastor of some uh, Protestant church in Uganda, and he was so moved by his friendship with um, Sayyidina that he... Uh, like he really wanted to join the Orthodox Church and the Coptic Church so he started talking with the other pastors and all of us like all of a sudden everything he was telling they were so happy and they all wanted to join the Coptic Church many of them had never been baptized the idea that there was a, a church in Africa since the first century until now and is living and active and that that church cares about them was like mind-blowing for them. So he had prayed to God and asked him what he should do. This is Pastor John. And upon his discernment from God, he had rented a school and gathered 17 pastors from different churches to come to learn about orthodoxy and to be baptized. He's not orthodox. And he rented the school, and he got them all to come, and now all he needed was for Sayyidna to come. So what did he do? He prayed, but Sayyidna didn't come. So what did he do? He said, I'm going to go and sit by the side of the road, and I'm going to pray until you bring him to me. Right? And there you go. So, we, so then we did the same thing in Uganda, we went street preaching and so on. Sayyidna led this conference with a couple of the servants to prepare those 17 pastors and then give them materials to go and preach in their churches and prepare their congregations and when they were all ready they were all to be baptized somehow somehow God has a purpose that he has clearly in front of his eyes <sighs> Lazarus this struck me like this struck me so hard this last year in preparing my daily Sunday sermons. I was reading the gospel like I usually do on Sunday morning before I go to the to church to, to pray the liturgy. And I felt like God was asking, I didn't hear a voice or see a, like lightning from heaven or anything, but I felt like God was asking me a question. Tell me, whether it was God or my own mind, it would lead us to the same conclusion. Tell me, Was Jesus four days late to save Lazarus? Or what is our expectation four days early? 
Like basically I felt like God was asking me, who's right and who's wrong? Now you know, you have the benefit, John, of knowing how this story ends. We always say Jesus was four days late. Eh? Jesus was four days late? Or I, forgive me, I'm stupid. Proverbs actually uses that word, so I'm not shy to use it, right? I'm stupid, I'm a fool, and think that Jesus and my expectation is actually four days early. Like, okay, Martha and Mary and so on, fine, granted. They don't know how the story is going to go. They're living it in real time. You and I are reading it 2,000 years later. And I still think Jesus was four days late? <laughs> what planet am I on? We still say, I still say in my sermons, Jesus was four days late? Something, something isn't right. Jesus is right on time. The problem, the problem is, is that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. So reconciling the two feels very challenging, right? But then also St. Peter is telling us that the Lord doesn't show very clearly the thing I'm trying to highlight. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Instead of making it clearer, it made it darker. You are great. You are a very great preacher of the Lord. Yes? Confuse the people. Excellent. So, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Sometimes somebody asks me to do something, and I want to do it, and I'm going to do it, and then I get carried away and I forget to do it. And then I remember, and I end up doing it, but later than I wanted, or later than I said, or later than whatever. See, that doesn't happen with God. Or, sometimes somebody asks me a question, the number one reason I don't reply to text messages immediately, is because I actually don't know the answer. I need to find out a piece of information from somebody else. So you send me a message, and then I want to answer it, I, I see most messages immediately, as do most people, and I want to answer it, and then I come to an, I'm coming to answer it, and then, oh wait, I need to ask this person that. So then I go to call this person, and they don't answer, and then, right? And then the thing goes to the back burner, and then you forget. It doesn't apply to God either. So God just doesn't do things when we want Him to do them, because that just doesn't suit His purpose. He just has a different purpose. And his timing is necessarily going to suit that purpose. Now, the bigger problem that comes from that, like, so this is, a, okay, these are truths. But the bigger problem that comes from that is that it's very disheartening, as Proverbs tells us. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. So when I ask God for something, and I really want it, and I really need it, and I get it like three months later, or three years later, or 24 years later. It's disheartening, right? But the reason for that is my expectation. Look at Job, right? Like, if you read Job carefully, you'll find that in Job 41 and 42, it never really says, God never comes and tells Job, so you know, Satan came and had a conversation with me, you know, and so on, and so I let him, you know, have a run with you for a limited period of time because I wanted to bless you. Like our Orthodox teaching about Job is not that God got tricked into this little show by Satan, right? But rather God wanted to bless Job. God wanted to, the word we love is glorify Job. Job. 
We love that word in orthodoxy, glorify, right? He wanted to glorify Job, right? He really wanted to reveal how amazing this man is. So he let him suffer, right? But in the end, he never actually tells Job the story. He just tells Job, like, where were you when I, you know, planted the trees and the Leviathan and the rhinoceros and all of these things? Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? He tells him, look, the, the reality of this world is so far beyond your ability to comprehend that I can't even begin explaining to you why, right? And Job is humbled and decides best for him to live in the fear of the Lord, even if he doesn't understand why. And he says, does not the Almighty see my ways? Does he not count my steps? Let us remember, let us remember a few things to encourage us. Not one of all of God's promises to Israel failed. Every one of them was fulfilled, Joshua 21. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth, says Joshua. You now, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one of them has failed. Jeremiah, the Lord said to me, you have seen, seek, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Like God sends his, like he says in Isaiah 55 verse 11, God sends his word out and it accomplishes his will. And he's watching to make sure that his will gets fulfilled. God doesn't only delegate, he makes sure that it gets done. Lamentations. The Lord has done what he planned. He has fulfilled his word, which he decreed long ago. God, God has a plan. God is working. God's promises are true. Ezekiel, Philippians, and we can keep going on. Philippians, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. When? When the, full, when the fullness of time has come. When the fullness of time had come, God sent His Son. I'll tell you a little, uh, a little uh, Old Testament hack. Okay? Anytime any asks a, anybody asks a question about anything in the Old Testament, 99.9% .9 of the time, the ultimate answer is going to be to bring about to us St. Mary, to bring about Christ. Why were the Israelites, take, Israelites taken captive? Because they were idolaters, because God wanted to teach them a lesson, because one, He wanted to bring them back to the true worship of God, because He needed... Why? Why all of this? Because He needed uh, one tribe, actually just one family of one tribe, to remain faithful. Why? So that they could bring about St. Mary, so she could bring about Christ. Like the ultimate answer, the ultimate end answer of almost every why question of things that happen in the Old Testament is so God could bring about to us St. Mary and he could bring about to us Christ. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The solution then is to have a plan. This is my plan. You don't have to have my plan. You can use your plan. But I figured I can only share with you what, what I know from my own life. The first thing is to remember that God's promises are true. The second thing is to wait for it to be right. The third thing is to create some margin so that I have room to think, to pray, to act upon the things that God wants me to act upon. And the last thing is to remember at the end of all of this that it's all about God. We'll go through them pretty quickly. The first thing is I constantly remind myself that God's promises are true. 
This is what I do, and this is a little Bible reading hack for you. Um, you don't have to do this, of course, but this is just what I do. There are some verses that get stuck in my head because they ring to me as so true. One of those is Numbers 23, 19. I usually end up memorizing them, although without I don't put that much effort towards it, and I should probably try harder. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. God isn't somebody who's going to say something and then not do it. I might do that. And, 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 and it's a sin and I shouldn't do that. But God, God may God forgive me and may all the people in this world that I've also hurt forgive me, right? And may I stop doing that. But God doesn't do that. Why? Why do we do that? Because we overpromise, underdeliver, like we said, because we want to, we have good intentions, but we don't fulfill, we run out of resources, we over we over underestimate things. All of these things, think of any reason why we promise and we don't deliver, and none of that applies to God. Uh, God, and God forbid, I, I'm malicious. Like I want to promise somebody something, get their heart, you know, heart hopes up, and all this, and then and then purposefully, you know, smash their heart to, to bits. God forbid. But you know, amongst other things, right? None of this applies to God, right? Next to that, that verse that really sticks with me, I'll go every time I read another verse that's similar to it. I'll go and write it in the margin. So I end up with a whole, a whole catalog of verses. These are the ones that are written in my Bible next to Numbers 23:19, Romans 11:29. For the gifts of God and the calling of God are irrevocable. Sometimes God promises you something like he did with Abraham and he only shows up years later. That calling is irrevocable. It's good to question, it's good to search, it's good to bring it to a spiritual father, it's good to hold it up to scripture, it's good to continue to pray about it. It's good, it's good, all of that is good. All of that is good. But God's promises, the ones that actually came from Him, not came from my own desires, are irrevocable. Isaiah 46.10, declaring that the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things that were not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. If it gives God pleasure, He's going to do it. And guess what? God has pleasure. We don't really talk about this much, but God has pleasure. We say pleasure, right? And I'm from downtown Toronto. Somebody says pleasure, I think Zanzibar, right? I think naughty places, right? But God has pleasure, and it's not Zanzibar, right? God has pleasure. His pleasure, what does he say? It is your father's good pleasure. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. And here he's saying that if it's my pleasure, I'm going to do it. And who's going to stand in God's way? The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And I'm sure there are hundreds of other verses. And first step for me is to encourage myself when I'm trying to shift from my timing to God's timing. And God's timing seems so radically different from mine. The first step for me is to remind myself, to remember that His promises are true. His promises are true. The next thing is to wait for it to be right. Many times people come to me and ask me for uh, uh, advice about decisions in life or whatever. And I don't know where I got this from, from my professional life or maybe from my spiritual father or maybe I don't know where I got it from, but it's become a life principle for me, right? And so take it, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying this to take credit for this, I'm say, telling you this to take it with a grain of salt because this isn't something that's read or researched or patristic, you know, from the ancient wisdom of the church for 2,000 years. This is, I think, something that just arose in my own life. But it seems to be true 100% of the time. 
When a decision seems perfect, wait just a little bit longer. What's just a little bit? My rough rule of thumb is between two days to two weeks, depending on the decision, right? You're trying to make a business decision. You're trying to make a personal decision. You're trying to make whatever decision. When it seems perfect and it, everything, and the fruit is just there and it's perfect on the tree and it's ripe, it looks ripe for the picking, wait just a little bit longer. Why? To make sure that it's ripe. When it's ripe, what happens? A little gust of wind and the fruit just falls right off the tree. What happens when it's not ripe? Uh, I have a two-year-old now, we're eating lots of bananas. We go through bananas like we go through bananas like nobody's business, right? What happens when the banana is ripe? It just you you pull it and it just falls off the bunch, right? What happens when it's not ripe? You pull it and it tears, right? It either tears the banana or it tears the another one next to it or it tears something. Or if it's a fruit on the tree, you either injure the fruit or you'll injure the tree. It may be the right thing for you, the right person, but if the time isn't right, you may end up slightly damaging the thing that God wanted to give you, or hurting yourself, or hurting the source of wherever it came from, right? So if you think it's perfect, how can you be sure that it's perfect? Wait just a little bit longer. Honestly, I tell you the truth, I used to do this as a surgeon, and I learned it from surgeons who were much older than me. You think this is the perfect time to do this operation. We would wait just one more hour. Fever would continue to go just a little bit higher. We would operate. We'd know, yes, absolutely. This isn't some, this we weren't wrong. You know? Wait for it to be ripe. Create some margin. What I've realized is there are 24 hours in a day I know it came, came as a shock to me too. There are 20, only 24 hours in a day. And guess what? God knows that there are 24 hours in a day. It's not a shock to Him. He knows that there are 24 hours in a day. And He knows that I need to sleep 7 or 8 of them or 6 or 7 of them or whatever is normal for you so I can function well. He knows that. And He knows that I need to eat and I need to shower and I need to put my feet up for just part of it at least. He knows. He knows. So the problem isn't those things. Although those seem to be the things that go by the wayside. He knows I need to spend a minimum amount of time with my daughter, with my wife. I need to spend a minimum amount of time paying the bills, reviewing our finances, whatever weekly chores I have. He knows. None of this is a shock to God. But that's not, those, those tend to be the things that go by the wayside. The things that don't tend to go by the wayside are time which is hard to account for. But I found that I actually have a lot of it. I have a lot of time which kind of gets lost in the middle of the day. So, what, what I've learned to do, like my spiritual father taught me to do, is to give myself a couple of times where I predict predictably know that uh, early this afternoon I have an appointment and this person is likely to come late. Count on praying during that time. Count on uh, spending a little bit of time with God in that time. Count on resting. God forbid you put your head back and close your eyes and put your cell phone on silent during that time. 
I have mastered the 20 minute nap. There's not enough time for it in the slides, but we could talk about it if you guys want. Margins are space that you intentionally leave empty because you know you have to. Otherwise, you're not going to get the end product that you want. Most of us know what margins are from like our printers. You tried one day to print you know, on your word processor or whatever. You tried one day to print right to the end of the page and you were missing half of the last letter right, of every word that was right, right at the very end of the page. Right? Your printer just can't go that far. Right? We also just can't go that far. Every single time I book back-to-back -back appointments in a day, at least two of them end up getting canceled. It's not possible. We're human beings. People don't come on time. I don't come on time. Uh, somebody gets sick. Somebody goes to the washroom. Whatever. We're human beings. We have biological functions we need to deal with. right? We need margin. There has to be some margin. Some of it you can create. Some of it life creates for you. Now, this is the key is to have something you deeply value that you can do in that margin time. The stuff oftentimes that I'm, that is always going out by the wayside. Right? We got here a little bit earlier than we expected and I had those precious 10 minutes to play with my daughter up and down in the hallway, running up and down the hallway and playing with the little you know, waterfall menu thing they have in front of the restaurant, right? And we got ourselves all wet and everything, and now my wife has to deal with it. <laughs> this is, a little, I think, the last slide. St. Paul is trying to tell us, you are so rich. You are so rich. You funny Corinthians. You're all bickering and fighting. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. Well, forget you all. I'm of Christ, right? And they're all, you know, becoming sectarian and partisan, right? And all fighting over who's best and who knows best and who's this and who's that. St. Paul is telling them, for all things are yours. All things are yours. Whether of Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. That thing that I'm waiting on, that timing, that, that time lapse between my time zone and God's time zone, that's yours. It's yours. It's promised to you. This is uh, deeply meaningful to me because yesterday, God forbid, and may this be far from you, I was praying the funeral of a four-year-old who passed away to cancer. A heart-wrenching, heart-wrenching experience. The whole thing from the moment I joined them, even until now. And, um, you know, there's no words you can, I, I, I could really legitimately come up with that I thought would be comforting to this family. Anyhow, um, I'm, at this, I'm at the funeral yesterday after the burial, you know, encouraging the family to start to move from the burial site. And it dawned on me that uh, I'm listening to this parenting 
audiobook these days. It's just telling Abuna about it. And the premise of the, the whole truth that this book is based on is that um, you want to raise your kids to be successful, but your kids are only going to spend a limited period of time here on earth, but they're going to spend a whole lot of time in eternity. So you want to you want to raise your children to be the best possible citizens that they can be of heaven. And that should modulate everything that you do with your children. In that moment, as the, the coffin had gone down and we're walking away from the, from the burial site, it dawned on me that those parents won. They won. If their goal was to deliver a good citizen of the kingdom of heaven to the gates of paradise, they won. It remains to be seen whether I will. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.